This is Design Tracks, a podcast by Design Matters, made for designers by designers. We'll bring together creatives with diverse backgrounds and skills from all around the globe to talk about crafting quality design and empowering diversity. This season, we'll focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Design Matters is a global community of designers who love to explore and inspire each other to break new ground in the digital realm. Join our conferences in Copenhagen, Tokyo, Mexico City, and Lagos, and help us spread knowledge and ideas. Read more about us in designmatters.io, and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter at designmattersdk. If you are enjoying our content, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and leave us a review. We truly value your feedback and support, and we want to make sure you love each episode. Our guest speaker of today, Batsy Matsonga. Batsy Madzonga is the Head of Design and Experience at Abu Dhabi Islamic Bank. Originally from Zimbabwe, he moved to South Africa for a few years where he got his BSc in Computer Science from the University of Cape Town and worked as an Associate Creative Director and UX UI Designer. Since 2017, he's been living and working in Dubai. Batsy's enthusiasm for digital platforms and entrepreneurship led him to start his own design agency to give talks around the world and become an athlete. His most recent book, Design Intervention, available on Amazon, is a collection of actionable tips of how he went from being a graphic designer to a head of design by the age of 35. Without further ado, our conversation with Batsy Matsonga. Hi everyone, welcome to Design Tracks. My name is Leishi, I'm your co-host. I'm not so a typical Latina and my pronouns are she, her. I'm recording from the beautiful Iceland of Puerto Rico, where it always is summer, but apparently, I don't know what's going on, I think it's hurricane season like it's raining some days and other days you can go to the beach with me today my another co-host mr sam horner i love that the puerto rico weather is keeping you on your toes because it, it makes you just a little bit more edgy when you come onto these uh these podcasts you're, you're usually just so happy and sunny and rubbing it in my face not anymore like you've, you've got rain you've got tornadoes let's say we've had our fair share of summer storms here um <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Sam Horner. I'm a British expat living in sunny Los Angeles, California, and uh, ready to bring you another fantastic episode of Design Tracks today. Super happy to have you, as always, as a co-host. And with yeah. all together, welcome, Batsy. Welcome. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Leishi. Yeah, I'm Batsy, based in Dubai. Like Sam said, uh, he's an expat. I live in the city of expats. Uh, it's always oh, yes, said like did. 90% of our city is expats. My pronouns are he and him. Thank you for having me. And thanks for joining us. Like, I'm super excited. I know it's a little bit different. Like, I'm, I don't know, like for me, it's 11.47-ish. What is your hour, Mr. Sam? Um, I'm 10 to 9, so it's not too early. And I've had a couple of calls already this morning. So, you know, we're just starting the day. I'm slightly uncaffeinated. So this this could be a wild card today. And how about you, oh, you're starting your day. Oh, yeah, I'm ending my day in Dubai. So it's 7.47 p.m. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, we would like to actually start this amazing interview asking you about a little bit of your background. And we know that you have a background in computer um, science. And we would like to know how this influenced your design process in a, unexpected ways. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Leishi. So I've, I've always been a designer. So computer science is something that I went into because it's I loved 
the analytical side of it and the mathematical side of it. And I love technology. Uh, and I could already draw, so I didn't need to go to art school because I was already creative. Uh, computer science is what I went to do to for me to learn something that was forward-looking, because obviously technology is where the world's going, but also something that I could could learn. So UI UX, product design, however you want to call it, is basically a marriage of those two passions because it's it's design in technology. So it puts my skills in computer science to work because I work with developers every day and I'm able to empathize with them, speak their language, and even solve some of their technical problems as I go along. So it's an amazing place to be right in the middle. You know, I feel so related to you. Like I started my career um, as an event producer um, and doing a little bit also of advertising because I was so mad that I was not able to draw And I was really into <laughs> art. And every time that I try it, it was like a complete failure. And I tried to take art classes and color theory, and it was a mess. And then I realized that the, the thing that I really like is aesthetic and solving problems. And that was the moment that I was like, oh, UX design. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. It that seems to be such a common path. I I had a similar background to Batsy. My I did web development for in school, and then I realized I didn't enjoy building the solutions as much as I did solving the problems and figuring out why people wanted to use things. So my first yeah. job was a Flash developer. That doesn't even exist anymore. So just to, just to age myself a little bit. Um, yeah, I love um, Flash. I used to code in like XML and ActionScript and all that. Those were the days, right? Nice. Uh, when the web was uh, the wild west of um, inaccessibility and wild creativity. <laughs> uh, spe speaking about accessibility, and um, obviously it was a big reason why a, a part of Flash is downfall, but would love to hear a little bit on your side about how how do you think about designing inclusive digital products uh, as a designer? Yeah, so so for me, inclusivity means a, a few things. I think at its core, it's just about making products that are better for everyone. And because I live in the UAE, in the Middle East, I, I live in Dubai. Famously, like 90% of the country is expatriates, made up of over 120, 130 countries. So just inherently, we're forced to design for multicultural, multilanguage uh, landscapes, right? Um, so, so you find that, and like I said, at its core, it's really just trying to build something that works for everyone. Uh, and then you, when you start breaking that apart, like you said, you start looking at things like accessibility, um, just your typography, your color palettes, just taking the extra care to check your contrast ratios, right? Make sure that it it works for people with visual impairments, all that good stuff. I, I see it missing a lot in quite a few designers. Um, over here, that there's no real effort to, maybe because uh, by law it's not required, unlike in, in Europe, right? There's no legislation around making accessible products over here. So you have to make a, a considered effort. You have to be very deliberate as a designer to, to make your stuff accessible. Um, but also coming back to making products that work for everyone is the idea of hyper-personalization. So I also look at think of inclusive design because again, I'm in Dubai. For me, inclusivity also means designing something 
that doesn't alienate uh, different cultures. So when you're designing and you have illustrations or iconography, imagery, whatever it is, that's like a visual tool. Um, it's, it's great to actually use customer data to hyper-personalize those things. So if you're building a journey and you're trying to have someone um, use facial, like biometric verification to, to onboard themselves onto your platform, um, how do you instruct them to smile or wink or perform the liveness check, right? Um, so we find that what I found really useful is in that moment, capturing information that informs you who the customer is, enables you to hyper-personalize that experience. Uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, we'll talk about this a little later. Um, but we, we obviously, it's, it's, uh, we live in an uh, Islamic country. And women here at times wear the hijab, right? Where they cover their hair. Um, and you find something as uh, that we would take for granted, something like uh, uh, biometric verification of your face. Women might not actually be feel comfortable with that. Um, we, we found this when we did customer testing for one of our journeys. So it's just being sensitive to people's not only religious belief, but the cultural nuances that are within our context within the Middle East. It's, it's a very interesting space to, to actually try and use everything at your disposal, uh, including data to hyper-personalize the experience and make it inclusive. Yeah, that's really interesting. Those, your point about all of those points were super fascinating. You, I think you deep dive an episode into every single one of them. But like <laughs> the idea that in a country of expats, in a city of expats, when you're building products for so many different uh, people of different backgrounds, languages, um, cultural understandings of technology, yeah. um, impact on things that we take for granted. That's such a, I wonder, do you find that more empowering or do you find it more challenging? So, so when I first came to the region, I, I f actually found it very empowering and very interesting uh, because I was thrown into the mix and I was just one of the, the cultures in the mix, right? So in as much as I'm trying to design for other people, uh, I'm actually also trying to design for myself because I've been thrown in there. It's unlike when I was in, because before I moved to, to the Middle East, I lived in Africa where I was born. And everyone around me looked like me. Everyone in my team looked like me, right? So when you're designing products, you don't really have to think about these things uh, a lot of, in, in a lot of cases. It was just black people and white people, um, right? So it was very binary. But when you come to the Middle East, all of a sudden you have a million shades of brown, right? Um, and, and, and you start to actually see the world differently and approach your design uh, problem solving differently and approach your, your entire craft differently. So it's quite empowering because you're basically now realizing that um, the world is much bigger than the reality I grew up in. And it's, it's fun to explore that in, from a design perspective. Thinking about that, actually, I am really curious. Like I, in one moment of my career, I was working on localization and how you can integrate some aspect of the country to your design in order to make it more yeah. personalized. And for me, I was thinking in that moment, I was a little bit junior, like, oh, cannot be so hard because they speak in Spanish. It was a, a country in Latin America. 
And right, then I realized right. that trends, like user, like needs and habits, like it changed from country to country. And I really want to understand from your experience, like what differences and similarities, if there are any between Middle East and Africa regions, are you working on it? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I think fundamentally the, the differences come in how developed the regions are. So like with Africa, it's, it's you, you might've heard that term, the next billion users, where you're really thinking about the next wave of internet users. Um, even though internet usage is like the penetration is quite high, you tend to find that um, because the countries themselves aren't as developed technologically as the technology itself, um, right? It's you, you tend to dumb down what you can do and dumb down your expectations and dumb down your the solutions you provide from an experience point of view, just because it's, it's just technically not feasible. Um, so, so for example, a famous example, I think that, that I always remember is the Uber example where um, obviously Uber had an app in America. They were launching Uber in Brazil uh, and the research uh, told them that their app would work, right? The initial research. So when they launched Uber in in in, in that country, it completely failed because because of bandwidth problems, um, the maps weren't working well. You know, the addresses weren't as uh, it, it just didn't work. So they had to create a solution like Uber Lite for that uh, for that market um, that worked completely differently. And it's just similar things in, in Africa where. Uh, things that we take for granted, like push notifications and SMS, we tend to inject those things into our journeys like and, and take it for granted. But when you go to Africa, people might not have internet, so they might not get your push notifications. Or if you're creating an interface with tech, you might want to use a technology like USSD, for example, versus a web-based view. Um, because then it opens you up to people that are living in the outer air, like out, outskirts of the city that might not have an internet connection, but they will have cellular networks so they can use USSD. Um, I actually worked on a project where we had to think about how to incorporate USSD first before even the internet um, to make the, pro the products, like, like we're saying, inclusive, right, and accessible for, for those people. Um, so I, I, f I feel like Africa, those are the kind of things you, you're starting to deal with. Um, but when you look at the Middle East, it's almost like the complete opposite, where, for, for example, in, in, the, in the UAE, we have a, a, a platform called UAE Pass that was initiated by the government. And essentially, it's just a unified uh, national digital identity. So everything you do in the country, uh, well, not everything, but most of the things you do in the country are unified under that one identifier. So when we're creating digital experiences, just by leveraging UAE Pass, we've got information about what car you drive, what insurance you have, how old you are, where you're from, your passport, your identification. We've got so many data points to draw from a customer just from that one uh, UAE Pass platform. Um, so it's two completely different uh, different places to, to design for. It's, it's incredible. You remember me, my experience. I, when I was doing my master, my thesis, um, I was in Cuba. And Kuwa in the Caribbean is one of the Iceland with less like internet connection. And for me, it was right, so right. mind blowing that they have something that they call El Paquete Semanal that basically is like the translation is the daily package. So it's like the internet without the internet in a USB drive. 
So one person, <laughs> yeah, it's super crazy. One person what? in the entire Iceland has like that good internet. They download all the files of series, like like all the content that people from different neighbors ask for, and they put it on a USB. So they go like street by street calling El Paquete Semanal, and they sell it so people can just put the USB wow. in pass the files, wow. yes, pass the files, and then other people pass the, the USB again. So it's the internet without internet. And you start thinking about like, how I can deliver product and services without internet in a USB? <laughs> because exactly. that's the internet that they have. And like how, as you mentioned, like how we can think about in experiences with less technology, but still using technology in some way. So yeah, it's, exactly. I think like at it's, its core, it's like we, we keep saying it's problem solving, and that's that's what mm -hmm. makes our job so incredible. I am really curious because I'm a person that I want to learn like craft things from designers. Um, and I remember last year um, I was on Design Matters, uh, and one of the speakers it was Rio Sampei. He's from Tokyo, and he was talking about like how designers can start like designing for Japan and the difference in t in terms of like directional flows, like like images, like the way that the characters work. And I'm really curious about like the UX UI challenges in terms of like designing Arabic. Oh right, right. Yeah, so it's 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 interesting like like I said before, the the especially in Dubai or the UAE rather it's it's a country of expats so like only 10% of the population is is local like emirati um, then you have a large contingent of the population that's indian and filipino i think that they probably make up about combined probably 70% of the population so a large part of the population isn't actually arabic speaking um, so when, when you tend to find that as a result, I think this is why when we design, we design English first for the most part, um, because a lot of the design teams here are actually made up of people that are not Arabic speaking. Um, I think now we, we actually have to make a, a deliberate effort to bring in Arabic speaking designers into our teams. Cause if you don't make that effort, um, uh, you're going to have a team with Africans, Europeans, Americans, uh, et cetera, right? So the way we go around it um, on the ground day to day is we design for English, um, keeping Arabic at the back of our minds from a content point of view, because I think like obviously Arabic is a language, um, but we, we basically leverage Arabic specialists in the team. So typically this is like marketing departments will have Arabic copywriters. Um, in some cases, some design teams, if they're lucky enough, they will have an Arabic writer embedded within them. Um, but what their role is, is to translate the English content rather than um, really work into building the experience itself. So we basically solve the problem in English and then translate in Arabic. Uh, essentially. Unlock the power of collaboration and save up with a group discount. The larger the group, the larger the discount. And yes, two also counts as a group. If you are planning to attend a Design Matters conference with your team or friends, simply send an email to hello at designmatters.io and secure your exclusive group discount. See you at the conference.
you talked about you talked earlier about how when you're in Africa, every, uh, everybody working with the same, and then um, and everybody looks like you. That's more binary. And then you move to Dubai, and it's uh, more diverse. Uh, we'd love to love love to hear from you about when you're working in very diverse teams. How can you ensure that everyone's voice is heard and understood? Especially going back to your points earlier about um, so many different factors of different cultures that play a part in building products in Dubai. Yeah, I think it's it's very easy to when you're in like a very multicultural context to feel like not only that you don't belong, but that your voice isn't worth hearing. Um, it, it's much more pronounced when you're you're working in a team where English is not your first language. But English is the shared language of the business, obviously, because that's the common language that everyone tends to speak. Um, so it's very easy for the native English speakers to shine versus the non-native uh, English speakers. All right. And, and I experienced this at my previous company where a, a designer, uh, an Indian designer walked up to me and he said, let's see, how can I, how do you speak like that? Like, how can I learn to speak like that? Because I, I'm shy to stand up and say what I, what I'm thinking or voice my opinions, because I just feel lesser. Like, how do you speak like that? And then I, I basically had to explain to him that I was born this way. Like, I was born my my country was colonized by the British. English is my first language. I even asked him like, when you dream, what language do you speak? And he's like, uh, Hindi. Like, yeah, when I dream, I speak in English. Like, it's it's my DNA. And I'm sure he sounds extremely intelligent when he's speaking Hindi, right? Uh, it's it's. I think Sofia Vergara famously said this. Uh, like, <laughs> like uh, I, uh, here, how intelligent I am. You remember something. Like, I have a friend that she spoke different languages, and we have yeah. a joke about different personalities in each language. Like... Yeah. I am another person in English that I'm not the same person in Spanish. I can't swear about that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So so I think like the key to working in that in that environment is just leaning on who you are and, and what you're good at. Um right? So so th there's this um uh, there's this teaching in 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 Africa called Sankofa. Um it's it's uh I think it's predominantly from Ghana. Essentially, it's, it can translate to it's not taboo to fetch uh, what is at risk of being left behind. And I feel like within like the globalization and the global context, multicultural context, the thing that's at risk of being left behind is your identity. Like if that Indian designer tries to conform himself to being like me just because I'm more eloquent in English, then what makes him special and why what what the value he can bring to the team is is left behind so i think just being in an environment where you draw upon like what makes you special within that team dynamic i think i think that's what really changed in my career when when i just embraced the fact that i'm african just that simple fact um, of changing my logo from like a latin cursive script to a uh, more native African-inspired script. Like if you go to my website, madzonga.com, you'll see the typeface I created with uh, a Nigerian designer. Uh, great. Yeah, like, I saw it. I love it. 
yeah, so so I created that typeface together with with a designer in Nigeria. It's called uh, I actually called it Sankofa. Um, so I changed my logo to that as a way of saying this is who I am and I'm proud of it. And I started to draw upon that, which made me unique in my team. And that's really when I started to to grow as a designer. Start to find your own um, find your own path and find your own voice. Uh, versus exactly. Copy like copying everything that you've heard around you. I uh, I remember that being a very like big topic a couple of years ago around like the. Um, it was the the ghost of Steve Jobs, really, that set up this idea that designers have to be somewhat um, grumpy and confrontational. And that's what success looks like is is hard critique and confrontational. Um, <laughs> yeah. but because because obviously Steve was so impactful and so incredible in the, in the way he delivered. But that was himself. That was that was him being himself. And then a lot of people yeah, trying yeah. to copy that, not being themselves, not being true to how they deliver and think about design as having an impact on uh, not, not just themselves and the work they do, but also the industry and, and, and accepting that as a norm. And I, I see that disappearing a little bit more now. Um, but it's really great to hear about it from from your perspective and how it's about bringing your culture to a new place and, and letting it reflect you and certainly in you, your personal brand as a designer because that's the unique value and voice that you bring. Exactly, that's exactly right. I I love to to meet the speakers um, before in, in different ways and one of the ways that I do it's reading. Um, I read some of your articles and and actually in the same line that uh, of what we are talking. Currently, um, I find an article about designers should start in thinking inside the box. And I was like, mm, what do you mean? And for <laughs> me, yeah, for me, it was really interesting. And how you define the concept of thinking inside the box and how you actually challenge designers to look into themselves. That's the thing that we are talking about in terms of uniqueness. Um, exactly. I have a line here that you put in your articles that says thinking outside the box is a great concept until you realize that everyone is trying to do just that. Um, so I was like thinking like how does thinking about people's diverse backgrounds and experience help us better understand creativity and innovation? Yeah, wow, that, that's a that's a loaded question. Uh, I feel like it's it's a really important question. Uh, because when we start to, I think it actually comes back to that inclusivity thing uh, we spoke about, because it's a really powerful concept. When you start to to really put um, and empathize with your customer base and where they're from and what they do and, and who they are, you, you start to really creating really powerful experiences. And we see this uh, a lot when, with my team, what, what I try to do is leverage data a lot because the only touch point we really have when it comes to the people using our technology is the underlying data that they, they give us uh, and how they use the platform. So I think using data to inform decisions of how to actually tailor the experience and personalize it for our customers is, one, is, is a really great way I've found to, to making uh, impactful experiences. That's awesome. Um... I, ha I haven't read, Leisha, you're going to have to send me a link because I, I didn't see this one. So I want to, I want to read this later on today. Um, Basi, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And there's a question that we've been asking everybody as we end this episode, uh, end these episodes, which is important to us um, and important to you, I'm sure, as well. So we'd love to hear from you. Why does design matter? Wow. Yeah. Why does design matter? 
I've, I've been thinking about this one um, for a while, uh, a few years actually, because there's, there's a part of my career when I lectured design. And uh, I used to do this thing where I had my students watch a talk from Simon Sinek. And he, he says something really profound. It's, it's essentially the, the answer to that question, why does design matter? So it's, it's the example he gives is if when we're traveling around the world and we're alone and you hear someone that speaks your language or that sounds like they're from Puerto Rico or, or Britain. I mean, you live in L.A., Sam, and uh, you hear someone with a British accent. Something happens within you that draws you to that person. Right. It's, it's that that commonality of hearing that accent and immediately knowing where they're from and that you're two peas in a pod, right? Um, you do this almost like a double take that happens because you people don't expect it, right? And they're like, oh, wait. Yeah, sorry, exactly. This, this almost kind of <laughs> back moment. Yeah, 100%. Exactly, exactly. And, and it brings you together. And, and design is essentially the same where what we do is communicate a brand's values through words, graphics, images, colors, uh, lines, and shapes, uh, right? So our job as designers is to convey a message about the belief systems of whatever we're designing for, whether it's it's a uh, design conference, whether it's a brand, um, you know, if you're designing a logo, a website, an app, what we're actually doing is structuring things in such a way that it conveys, I think it, it also uh, a good segue into um, that Islamic banking concept where the, the real power of what we do is trying to convey Islamic principles and Sharia principles within the work we do without explicitly saying, hey, we're an Islamic institution. Because at the end of the day, the, the bank is a bank for the people. It's not just banks. It's not just a bank for the Muslims, uh, Muslim people in, in the UAE, right? It's a bank for anyone. Um, so, so that's essentially what what I feel like design does. It communicates a brand's values um, through the work we do with images, text, colors, etc., and that allows people with the same values to be drawn to it. So, why does someone choose our bank versus another bank? Right. That that fundamental question is something that we have to convey through images and, and content. It's it's a similar example that he gives of like Harley Davidson, for example. Like, why do people tattoo themselves with a Harley Davidson uh, logo? I mean, that's like a corporate logo. Right. Um, it's and the, the, the way he, he puts it across is quite profound that they do that not to tell you that they own a motorcycle. But they do that to tell you something about who they are, because essentially Harley Davidson goes beyond the, just the product they, they, they purchase. It's it's a set of beliefs that the brand embodies, that they themselves embody. And the way they communicate that is through a logo that someone designed uh, decades ago. So yeah. I, I feel like design is is a very profound art form because it allows us to to do that. Every single day we go to work, it's it's quite profound. Design is everything. It's very, it's very true. Uh, design is everything. What a lovely, lovely phrase to finish us off today. Uh, Batsy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank it's you so been much a pleasure. For Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Lachi. Has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, and we'll be to the next one. Bye. 
we'd like to thank our guests who took the time to share their expertise, stories, and knowledge with us. Last but not least, a special thanks goes to you, our listeners. Your feedback and support help us improve the quality of this podcast and our conferences. Don't forget to find us at designmatters.io on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter at designmattersdk. See you at our events in Copenhagen, Mexico City, Tokyo, and Lagos. This podcast was recorded and hosted by Sam Horner, produced by Leishi Curbelo, and managed by Georgia Lombardo. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Design Tracks. This is a reminder that the opinions expressed by our guests are their own and not necessarily reflect the views of the hosts, Design Matters, or our sponsors. Our goal is to encourage an open dialogue and share diverse perspectives.